Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vox Podcast. We are excited to be with you. I am accompanied today by two of my favorite Tims in the world. Timothy John Stafford, our long-suffering producer, friend, and co-host of the show, and um, and Dr. Timothy Gombas, who um, is just known as Gombas in these circles because the last name the last name rarely captures the effect somebody has as effectively as Gombas captures Tim. Yeah, Gombas. whatever works. Yes. Um, and, and just a couple of, and I know no one cares, but I find this very amusing to my own self. A couple of hair updates. Timothy John Stafford is um, growing back his beard, shaved off um, in a bit of impulsive impulsiveness, regretted great, it instantly. But it's really? already, already, yep, Oof. yep, already thick and full. Um, it just, it took about two days and it's completely back. Um, just willing it really. up been pushing it like, <laughs> yes. down. To push all those little hair follicles back out. Come yeah. on, babies. Olives, olives help. Um, is that true? Nope. And then, no. um, and then, uh, Timothy Gombas is, he's showing more chest hair on our zoom call than I think. <laughs> I may be comfortable with. Um, Dude, it is summer shirts all week long. <laughs> you should so, change your background to like just a tropical because you do kind of like you got really good light in there too. You so got good light, good light. Got yeah, buttons. I'm looking out several... on the lake. It's a sunny day. It's gorgeous. I'm going to be oh. heading home soon, laying in the sun, man. Yes. The, and, and there are buttons that are undone. I'm just going to leave it there, but that's true. Um <laughs> I don't so, want to offend anybody. So no, no, no offense. Jealousy. Make That's all stumble. it is. That's all it is. Yeah, it's this is why we are a audio podcast only. Um, <laughs> Doctor Gumbus has um, has had a blog for years and years that I discovered. My goodness, I don't know, almost ten years ago, probably called Faith Improvised, and he's written a couple of books on Ephesians uh, and Paul that I thought were outstanding and then we got to know him and um and since then he has launched his own podcast called faith improvised and the, the i know I, yeah, i'm out of creative ideas for titles of anything yep yep <laughs> um, and i've listened to some episodes and i have not yet heard the vox team given any credit for launching your you totally podcasting were. career uh, because I think the, the Jim was the, the, <laughs> the yeah yeah what's up with that the the phrase that I heard you use was um, it was something like if these idiots can do it I'm sure I can figure it out and so I just I just want I want yeah. that public recognition I thought uh, I said knuckleheads but oh, okay all right you're probably right <laughs> Doctor Gomez how are you doing are you back in school I'm great no we start. Uh, I start next Friday. School starts next week. I teach on Friday next week, and uh, yeah, we're just getting everything going. Fully distant? No. Uh, there's going to be in-person classes and live remote. Um, huh. So I've got both of my classes have like a handful of in-person and then a handful of remote. So we had to be trained all summer on how to do this thing with a variety of devices that it's going to take me, I don't know how long to learn. I'm just, I don't learn new things easily. So it's going to be, I don't know. Yeah. It'll be fine. It'll be yeah. great. Well, the other Tim was saying he, he teaches in person and on zoom at the same time. Yeah. So that's, and you loved that, right? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is going to be a real. So, when did you start training? I just finished our first week, so just this last Tuesday. Yeah, so you got live in person and then live yeah, I have remote. Students in masks, distanced in a classroom, and kids on Zoom at the same time. Yeah, and it's kind of a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have a lot of brain. I have a lot of brain capacity taken up with like baseball stats and like you know, rock and roll trivia. <laughs> and yep. it's like, I, I don't want to give up that space to try to figure out how to do this remote and present thing. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. It's going to really tax me. I, I'm going to need a lot of naps. 
<laughs> just put, throwing it out there. I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, it's this is uh, you got to rest up here in the next week to get ready for that. Yeah, it's gonna be brutal. Um, so you've you've done some great stuff on on uh, on your podcast, and I wanted to kind of swing around to something you've hit the last couple of episodes that I thought was very interesting, and it was on the Great Commission. And oh, if you're yeah. not familiar with that language, that comes from the end of the book of Matthew, where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all the nations, um, teaching them, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And that has been for our evangelical tribe, one of the core, what, it's what makes evangelicals evangelicals, that we are to go and evangelize the world. Yeah. And, um, and you had a, a friend on and then had some of your own thoughts about, well, maybe that's not exactly what it is. So I, I thought, you know, there's a ton we've got to talk about, but I thought uh, just to kind of talk and show a little bit about what you're doing on your own podcast, but also because I find it absolutely fascinating. Why is, uh, why is the Great Commission kind of the wrong way to talk about that passage? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, I'd always struggled with that passage being understood as like uh, a commission to evangelize because um, so much of the thrust of what's going on in Paul, which is my main area of study, had to do with uh, churches being established and then living as kingdom communities. And uh, I was struck, this might have been like 10 years ago, that having grown up in an evangelical culture and training and all that kind of stuff where you know, like you said, evangelism and mission is everything. Um, there's no commands in any New Testament letter to evangelize. I just thought that's, that's, uh, that's nuts. Like what, what is what's going on with that? And so I started teaching this paradigm of just building kingdom communities and learning how to be kingdom communities over a long period of time. And then I would always get this pushback. Like, well, what about the great commission? And um, it seems to me, I mean, just from a grammatical looking at the Greek text, um, Jesus does not say go and uh, make disciples. He says, uh, it's a participle, as you're going, make disciples. And I, I had a hunch that he's probably talking about the 12 that, that like, I mean, it probably is far less high flying of a statement. It's probably like, all right, boys, we're up on this mountain here. So, you know, as we disperse, basically your mission now is to make disciples <clears throat> and disciples are learners like lifelong learners in how to do the things that Jesus said to do, which in Matthew is all about mm -hmm. living kingdom community. Right. So there's really, um, if you really take that seriously, if to make a disciple, to just make one disciple, to teach uh, for one person to learn over the course of a lifetime what it means to live this radically alternative way of life to all the ways of life available in the world in community is, is a massive project. It's not, it does not have anything to do with um, like an evangelistic sort of thing. I mean, you, you would want to be doing what Jesus does in the gospels you'd want to be basically uh, warding off people who are too excited about this because they probably don't understand it. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think that the part that's left out there is the teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, like um, help people understand how to commit to this and then learn this over a lifelong you know, period. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, it's not individualistic. It's because all the kingdom living, which is what Matthew's all about, is done in community. So I just thought I, I had had these kind of processes in mind and then um, had dinner with Kristen and her husband a couple months ago, and she mentioned she's doing this research. And I was like, holy cow, it's such a recent phenomenon. I, I, mm. First the time it was ever great, used yeah. is like the late 19th century. Nobody right. thought about the Great Commission for the whole history of the church. Yeah. So it was I mean, used it was used as a baptism text, as a Trinitarian text, but yeah. it was never used as a mandate for individuals to go share their faith. I was shocked. I mean, it's like, yet again, it's one of these things where ideologies that crop up over the last hundred years or so shape evangelical imaginations to think like, this is it. This is yeah. how it is. And yeah. there's no other way. Yeah. And it's obvious. Right, 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 right. I don't but, know, man. 
Well, the thing I found so so compelling was in my so there there's pressure in this text because people are going to hell and you're the only bible they're ever going to read or the jesus that you might be the only jesus they ever see um uh so that's one piece of this is the way the text has been used right to motivate i mean this i remember i took a whole spring break in college to just walk up to random strangers on a florida beach you have to how'd that go Yep, it was great. Um, so fun, not awkward at all. Um, uh, so there's that the pressure there, but then, but then there's um, on top of it the idea that um, I mean, it's the it's the freaking it's the Great Commission, man. It trumps everything yeah. else, and yeah. the the possibility that you brought up of it. This is a call to embody the way of Jesus in community and that that's what testifies. Um, Cause part of what I would, what I would hear or imagine hearing from people is okay. Well, how, how are people going to hear the gospel if no one's sharing it with them? Yeah. You know what I mean? How, how will they, I mean, that's Romans straight from yeah. Romans, right? And yeah. so how would you answer that? Yeah. Uh, a couple of thoughts here that I, I'm writing up to sort of Ooh. talk about for next week, but, um, it's funny that you, you mentioned that evangelistic thing for a week in Florida. Yeah. Um, which I, I've been on these kind of things before and you know, I'm very familiar with them. And, yeah. um, yeah. The, my question has been, if you, if you were interested in, in obeying Matthew 28, it would be your worst nightmare if you made a convert because <laughs> you, because making a convert is like, is step one of a thousand steps. Your job is not to make converts, but to make disciples. So if you, if somebody was interested in this and said, I've been, I'm here on spring break and I intended to party and all this kind of stuff, but oh my word, you've been put in my path. Yes. I want to learn all about this. Um, uh, basically what you're doing is if you're expecting somebody to make a commitment to following Jesus, the rest of their life, Right. You just made a commitment to disciple them the rest of your life. So are you willing to move to Texas or Florida or wherever that person's from in obedience yeah. to Jesus? Does that make sense? I mean, oh, like, yeah. many of us are interested in making converts, Yeah. but in, in all of the, the drive-by evangelism that I've heard about, I've never heard anybody say like, well, yeah, if we don't go down there into the inner city and someone becomes Christian, that's my best friend for the next 18 years. So, so the, the, the proclamations in Acts, right? Peter gets up to announce the good news. Those were, were those evangelistic? Uh, yeah. So these are people appointed to do that. This is not the job of everybody. Peter, there, there's a difference between Peter and every Christian. Mm. Not every Christian is Peter. Also. But no, no um, but I've always been told that everybody should evangelize. That's, that is our job. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the root, the root of this, it seems to me is to imagine that, um, there are certain ends that are God's ends and we have to accomplish those. We have to think about the best way to accomplish those, but, um, we have to, we have to come up with great means to accomplish those. And throughout scripture, God has his ends very clearly in view. And most of God's people all agree on those, but, throughout the history of throughout the narrative of scripture, um, God's people never want to accomplish God's ends by God's means ever. Yeah. And that's the big issue. Yeah. So like, um, why would you march around a city for seven days and it's going to be destroyed? Okay. That's, that's ineffective inefficient. It doesn't, nobody would do that. Let's not do that. Um, Gideon is going to, um, defeat Midian. How? Well, he knows how he's a warrior. I mean, he's a, he's a gangster in that text. Um, but God wants him to do it with 300 men blowing trumpets. All right. That's not how you would do it. So <laughs> to my mind, the question, how else will they, unless we yep. have to be put alongside all of the questions, the people of God always ask God and get it wrong. So, um, it appears that Jesus wants to build his kingdom and we should let him, um, that seems ineffective and inefficient. Um, but 
that that just makes us characters in all these narratives that prefer not to do things God's way. And, um, but he's going to cast thinking, them to hell, dude. Well, Hey, I'm getting there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mark, Mark four. Come on. Um, uh, Mark at the end of Mark four, Jesus talks about, um, here's how the kingdom is built. It's just like a guy that plants a garden and you know, waters it. And he goes to bed and gets up the next morning and there's these sprouts. How does it happen? He doesn't know. It's a mystery. <laughs> so um, if we're trying to demystify the building, the kingdom, we're basically building our own kingdoms and not God's kingdom. I mean, we might be making converts, but we're not, we're not necessarily doing things God's way. Also, evangelical theology begins with hell. What in the hell is that about? I mean, it's like, <laughs> it seems like New Testament theology begins with Jesus. It begins with God and God's redemption and God's rescue of us. It doesn't start with hell. Hell is not the reality. In fact, um, I, I've had this, I've done this with so many evangelical students over the years. I've asked them uh, at the beginning of this one semester where we sort of rehearse the biblical narrative, um, said, I just take a, take, uh, oh, the assignment for day two of the class was to write a one page summary of the biblical narrative. Oh, nice. Before we ever got into stuff. Oh, you're setting them up. And almost to a person, they all came back and started either with sin or with hell. Mm because that's how evangelicals theologize. There was no Genesis one and two. There was no creation. There was no intentions for uh, God's intentions for humanity and for the world mm -hmm. and for the wonders of what this creation was supposed to be. It's like we have two moments in our drama, sin, salvation, mm -hmm. and that's it. Mm -hmm. Whereas scripture has such a bigger story. Um, so I think it's highly problematic that we start our theology with hell and, um, I think it's probably a whole lot better to start it with Jesus and to think about what does God call the church to be and to do. And since uh, evangelism is never one of those, um, we should not, we should not try to, I don't know. There's a lot of things that God does tell us to do. We're not told to do that one. We're not told not to do that, but we're, we're told to, um, practice a variety of the kingdom practices and those are largely unexplored especially by evangelical people and i think we should get about doing those things yeah also also um in the new testament um the the the, the gospels uh, jesus has us seeing other people differently than that um there's something really wrong with me seeing um, other people as the target of God's work. So like um, that person is the problem or has a problem. They're destined for hell. I am the answer or I have the answer. Whereas the gospels are always like the gospels assume that the audiences have that mindset and need to correct it mm. uh, because the Pharisees have that mindset. And, um, uh, John in Mark, uh, nine has that mindset and Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and Jesus rebukes John. And basically what Jesus says several times is, um, uh, in Mark, oh shoot. When he talks about, um, welcoming the children, mm. he talks about how it is that when they welcome, um, people who are marginalized and who have no social status and they place them front and center in the community, they are welcoming Jesus and they're welcoming God. Hmm. So the way that, and, and then in, um, when Jesus is teaching about how to love, uh, neighbors, he talks about the, the Samaritan mm -hmm. who is, who is like the most for, for, a, for a first century Jew, that is like the most immoral person you could possibly conceive of. And, obviously a sinner and obviously God hates Samaritans. So it's like God is constantly telling the church, act like those people out there, act, you know, invite those people in and then you enjoy my presence. So the church is not the answer. The church is the target of God's work. Christians are the target of God's work. 
But we imagine that the Bible is our weapon and unbelievers are the target. So it's like, there's just, there's just a massive re, just a, a renovation of our imagination that is necessary. Um, and w- when we imagine that we are responsible to go tell the world uh, about Christ and bring the gospel, um, we, we end up burdening ourselves and putting so much pressure on people and manipulating and, and ending up in manipulative conversations. It's, it's so twisted. We become twisted humans. And normal people out there in the world look at us as just these cheap, ill-trained salespeople. And it's really embarrassing. There's one way. Actually, there's only one text in Paul's letters where he talks about the church proclaiming the gospel. Yeah, come on. That's in 1 Corinthians 11. Yes. And that's where where the church, (laughs) when the church gathers as the multi-ethnic uh, multi-social class group of people and they gather and they act as if they're all siblings on the same social level because of what Jesus has done. The meal, the social practice of fellowship is the proclamation of the gospel. Paul says, when you eat it, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we, the church is called to depict it through fellowship and joyful embrace of one another and leave the rest to God. I don't know if people want to ask us why you eating with those people. We can talk about it, but um, apparently, through the church's faithfulness, God miraculously adds people to the church, or or He does whatever. I don't know. I mean, He might, He might not. But that's that's but up about, to Him. What about always pre- be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have? Is yeah. that is that an individual or is that a church? Yeah, First Peter three. Yeah. Uh, where Peter's talking to illiterate slaves and he's telling them um, when you, when you suffer uh, unjustly and when your master is beating you and you do not retaliate and they ask you, why are you not retaliating or why are you not um, scheming in some other way to uh, either uh, cause damage to the household structure or the reputation of the master uh, if they ask you, why are you acting like that? Tell them, because I'm going to face uh, the judge one day who, what, if I suffer in imitation of him, I will be vindicated. That's it. Oh, you make me like, so happy. Why do you have this hope? Why, why are you acting like this? Well, because I have this hope, and that's why I'm behaving this way. It's not have a well-ordered apologetic. That is... That is that's what I've done. That's what, that's all the only way I I've ever you, heard that text. Yeah, I hear you. It's really awful. That's an awful, awful thing. It's turned Christians into just very unpleasant people that um, accost strangers on beaches and in, in shopping malls and do this kind of stuff. It's right. like, who acts like that? I, it's really, it's really terrible behavior. Wow. <laughs> it's unchristian. What do you what do you see? And I, and and I'm this is definitely a leading question. Um, when Jesus is talking uh, and warning people about the outer darkness in the Gospels in the Synoptics, what's he what's he what's he doing there? Um, and I'm trying to set you up for the dunk. I don't know. Oh, oh, oh I mean, like, I don't know what you're where you're going. I I mean, I think there, I mean, there's definitely judgment. Mm-hmm. But um, I guess I want to look at uh, each. I want to look at all these texts and ask questions like, "Well, who's going there, and um, what what are the dynamics involved?" Because mostly, these are warnings to the people of God. That's where I was to going, behave yeah. in faithfulness, and when we choose to sort of do things our own way, like think it's our responsibility to build the kingdom um, and become you know, decrepit people as a result. Uh, yeah, the judgment is on its way. I mean, that's, that's really, we should not be disobeying God in order to glorify God. So judgment <laughs> awaits the people of God when disobey, basically. It's yeah. really a frightening thing. Yeah. But uh, very seldom, I mean, you don't get any statements like this in anywhere in the Bible. Uh, look, the lost need to hear, so you better go tell them or else they're going to go to hell. 
It's what always about that? what about Paul's comment people first, of God. first Thessalonians? Where, you know, I th- first or second Thess, um, where it's the people that have persecuted um, will be given over eternal fire. Is that, yeah. do you think he's warning the religious communities that are persecuting these Christians? Or I've heard that, that taught as, hey, here's a, here's a text about non-believers that need, war- they need warned. I'll try to find it really quick. Oh, well, I mean, you've got statements like that, like in Philippians 1, um, that, you know, the people of God can be comforted that God misses none of the persecution that is being brought upon them, and that people that are persecuting the people of God will be judged. That's for sure. What I'm saying is you don't get, you don't get statements like, listen, if they're not told, um, that they're going to go to hell, that's a bad thing. So you better tell them and share with them the way of salvation. Mm. You don't get statements like that, mm. you know, mm. or like if you really love them, then you would do this or something like that. This is, that's just, it's a lot <laughs> of manipulation. Was a there was a meme floating around there for a while. That was like, it was someone trying to convert and they were saying, if I don't tell you this, you're going to go to hell. And the person's like, well, then why did you tell me? Like <laughs> if I go to hell now, it's only because you showed up and brought this information to me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Again, like the logic, we, we just, we go to the end and then we try to come up with the, what we imagine is the most effective means to accomplish something, which is never how God's people are supposed to behave. And like I said, we just become really unpleasant salespeople. I mean, and I, I can't stand when I, I do not like having conversations with someone who has a manipulative agenda. Mm-hmm. And so because I am a follower of Jesus and he said, treat others the way you want to be treated. I don't do that. Yeah. Not a good way to go. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so digging into this. Okay. There's so, I mean, Tim, you, your, your wisdom is as attractive as each hair on your <laughs> chest. <laughs> and so... <laughs> I got to cover up now. <laughs> no, no. no. It's blushing a little bit. It, does, it looks like it's unbuttoned a lot, but about, <laughs> with the whole outfit, there's a, there's a balance that's brought. Okay, all right. I, we'll take your word for it. Um, so so here, here's the church sitting... <laughs> In the midst of a global pandemic, the most contentious election polarized season ever. Um, in our lifetimes. In our lifetimes. Racial tension that just yeah. keeps ratcheting up. Um, we're watching professional athletes bow out of sports in protest. I mean, th- this is, th- th- I don't have words for this. What yeah, we're in the midst it's nuts. Of. It, it yeah it feels apocalyptic not in the re, uh, not in the end times way but in the unveiling way like like things are being shown for what they are yeah that's true what so how does the church witness to the reality of the risen Jesus in environments such as these um well a couple of things first of all I uh, I think it's important to recognize a couple of things. Well, uh, these are just ways I try to keep my sanity every day. No, that's good. Um, that's, yep. First of all, I, I have tried to read a lot of American history and, um, most elections prior to about the nine, 1900s or so, uh, most elections had brawls and murders and like, I mean, the elections and like polling places were the sites of, ugly violence Hmm. for for basically the whole 19th century. Um, So there's a sense in which for the last 70 years of American life, probably since the close of World War II, we have been in this time of an illusion of like, this is what life should be like, where we have this kind of relative peace or whatever. And it's important also to say that that's, you know, we are three white people talking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, for most of American history, for black people, um, life has been tyranny and terrorism. 
um, first being enslaved and then, um, you know, the terror of lynching throughout the late 19th, early 20th century. Um, so the experience, my experience of being an American in this land of just relative peace for the last 45 years or so, it's like, this is not normal. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I just, I'm trying to find ways for myself to keep my sanity, to recognize like, um, we've been here before, like this country on this land, we've had a civil war. Mm -hmm. So I mean, like stuff came apart. We went to battle with each other. Um, so on one hand, this is not exceptional. On the other hand, this is exceptional. And I think that, um, especially with the, with the dis, I think we're at one of these inflection points with this, this current president and coming up with this election. I think, um, we run the risk of, uh, this country runs the risk of if the current president remains the president or if he prevents an election or if he, um, corrupts this election, I think, um, we're headed for some serious trouble over the next six months and beyond. Hmm. Uh, there might, I think there's going to be a lot of, there, there are a lot of people that are right wingers walking around with, uh, weaponry mm -hmm. that and as soon as this pandemic broke, that's the first thing I thought of. You lock down a lot of people, um, for a long time and stuff is going to pop. Mm. I live here in Michigan where there are a lot of sort of gun toting people. And I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't ever go in a soapbox about guns, but I know that you walk around in public enough brandishing weapons and sort of provoking responses and you are angry enough. One of these days, someone's just going to pull the trigger. I mean, that has happened in American history before. Yeah. Uh, in Boston, um, this is how wars begin. So I think that, I think we should be aware that there's, this is a precarious moment in American history, um, which reminds me, and this is how I th think about this, this reminds me that, um, again, this is not exceptional. Jesus talked about this in Mark 13. Nations would rise and fall. There would be massive cultural upheaval. And all of that might bring about violence that even consumes the people of God. Mm -hmm. um, but all those who suffer in faithfulness and who continue to hold on to their Christian identity through community dynamics of service, to one another service to the wider community and then hospitality to one another and hospitality to uh the marginalized those people will make it through times of suffering even if they die and will be raised from the dead and will inherit the kingdom of god in the end so um i guess i'm uh, i'm less concerned with maybe as you said, bearing witness to the resurrection or bearing witness to resurrection realities so much as I am concerned about inhabiting them. Mm. Um, mm. I don't, I'm not concerned that other people know that, Hey, we believe this. I don't, that doesn't, I'm not concerned about that. I, my biggest concern for myself is to be as faithfully Christian as I can and to inhabit a faithfully Christian community for its own sake, whether or not anybody ever hears about it. Um, and to hold on to that identity and to hold on to that community, um, to, to resist the, um, the temptation to become angry at, uh, at this side or that side to resist, um, letting myself be identified with a side yeah. in, in, sort of a, in a partisan divide. Um, and to, to just to seek to, to recognize I'm part of an eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken. And America is going to, America will go the way of, uh, the wastebasket of, you know, the dustbin of history. That's just, it's just a fiction that we've all kind of agreed to use this word America. I want to make sure that I recognize it's a passing thing, just like Rome and just like the Assyrian mm -hmm. empire. I mean, there will be a, there'll be an end to this at some point, but the kingdom of God is eternal. And that's what I, where I truly belong. Mm -hmm. And I think for, I mean, for my family and me, we're just, wanting to be very sober about, um, coming realities. Um, um, what does that mean? This, this last quarter was the worst economic quarter that America has ever experienced. That's been recorded. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily predict the future except for like world series and you know, major <laughs> golf championships. But right when this came down, I just thought, 
all the experts said well, we really should, would be wise to quarantine for two years. It'll be more than two years before we have a vaccine. And our the larger economy is such a large, it's an unjust order, and but it's so precariously perched. Hmm. And it cannot sustain a hit like a pandemic without collapsing. Hmm. Um, and us all suffering a massive economic collapse. So in my view, I think that this is going to be one of these epic making like EPOCH epoch. Yeah. This is going to be an epic making year and moment and event that will, will be like 1920, 1921. This, this will change things. Um, and I think that this has been a good time for us to talk about what we really value as a family and with some friends and, um, honestly, just thinking about getting our financial house in order to be prepared for, um, some real turbulence and to be prepared to, uh, we got in the mindset of, um, prepare, thinking about preparing our house for having people that are going to be, um, evicted and, um, we might have to adjust to some new kind of communal living that we haven't experienced at this point. I think a lot of that, I think it's just realistic. Um, I, wh what I've tried to do over the last six months is to think, um, six months into the stock market crash and you know, the famines and all that six months in, what were people saying? Was it just like, yeah, any day it's going to turn around. Who knew that like, this was going to be, uh, nine, 10 years of devastation. Hmm. Um, you know, a couple, couple months into the first world war, I mean, people were jubilant. We're just going to march in and we're going to have this jolly little war and we'll be home by Christmas. And all of the European empires, um, were just, I mean, basically that was the downfall of all the European empires. Hmm. So it's like, I just want to be sober minded and hope that there's as little suffering as possible and hope that there's not as much upheaval as there might be, but I want to be sober minded and prepare to be Christian, no matter how hard things get and to be committed to my church community and, um, you know, be committed to doing good and sharing with those who, who are in far less safe and privileged position than I am in. Dang. So, um, I, this ties into, um, we have lots of, of people in our lives using that sort of language, but it, but it's attached to what sort of language, uh, just the man, it, everything's, everything's going to change. Oh, it's yeah. going to get bad, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I've also seen that slip into some really conspiratorial Oh yeah, yeah. Waters. You know, we just did a we did an episode on QAnon. And um and in and I in you know, some of what I hear is that same like, dude, you know, we've gotta go buy gold and we've gotta, you know, entrench and do these sorts of things. Um how do you how do you stay out of those waters when when you're thinking thoughts like that? Um well, I think, uh, typically, um, conspiracy theory thinking, um, typically, uh, identifies like enemies and, and threats, mm. um, which is counter discipleship, um, mm. because we're supposed to, um, th there's nothing that I, I can't be threatened. Um, I don't, I'm dead to this world and alive in the kingdom. So there are no threats. Nothing's threatening to me. Uh, I very well may lose my life. Um, and conspiracy theories often get caught up in enemy identification and, mm. um, disciples don't have enemies. We're, we're, we're always in the process of turning enemies into friends. So I think there's a massive difference between, um, oh, and also in first Corinthians 13, um, Paul talks about how love always believes the best. So if you are committed to believing the worst, um, how can you call yourself a disciple of Jesus? If you're, I mean, these are, it's just those ways of thinking run counter to the ways of thinking that disciples cultivate. So what I'm saying is, um, Jesus does talk about in Mark 13, um, 
and there's other texts like this, like th things are going to get bumpy. Like it, you're getting, as the present age continues on, armies are going to arrive at the city gates and they are going to just wreak devastation. Um, but he's talking about Jerusalem there, right? He's talking about Jerusalem, but also the way that he, the language he uses, he's kind of talking about this is how it's going to be for mm. this whole present age. Mm. And it's, it's going to be this repeated pattern of just unfolding destruction and, and you know, that pops up at different times. But he, um, he exhorts his disciples to do something very specific, basically. Um, look after each other. Mm. Don't identify, like, don't try to figure out what's happening. Like, you know, get on websites and try to identify <laughs> who's doing this. That's, 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 that's not what we're told to do. Mm. If this is, cultural heat is going to be turned up every once in a while, um, don't lose nerve. Don't, um, don't give in to that temptation to hold on to possessions. Disciples are truly people who live with open hands in moments of cultural pressure. Yeah. We want to, what I'm saying about getting my, our financial affairs in order, I'm talking about making sure we have money, um, to, you know, to be able to be, uh, generous or, or, or you know, if we have food and we, people need to be taken in, I don't know what this moment is going to bring. I know I can't figure it all out. And I know that trying, you know, going down a rabbit hole of a conspiracy theory is, is intellectually, um, it, it kind of provokes our curiosity because humans always have the desire to like have it all figured out. Um, but that's, there are plenty of warnings in the Bible about self-deception and about listening to false prophets. And, and these are warnings to God's people not to listen to false prophets. So we don't know what's going to happen and we don't know what this will all bring, but I want to be nimble enough and um, flexible enough so that like in my town, when there are uh, people losing homes or when there are people being evicted or um, people who are in need, you know, we've got a couple bedrooms that we can be willing to share. We've got plenty of food. We can take meals to places. Um, I think what Jesus wants the church to keep in mind is don't lose nerve. Um, stay at the course of being disciples, which is um, serve, look out for the marginalized, offer hospitality, and um, don't give into the temptation to grab for power. Don't give into the temptation to uh, grab for money, but stay in the shape of the cross. I think that's what it's all about. I can't remember where I was reading it. I was reading something about Stephen's big speech before he's martyred. And yeah, seven. he's kind of recapping like biblical narrative. Yeah. Right? And then um, while rebuking kind of, you know, the folks around him. And one of the things that he said, it, the word that he uses is um, oikos, right? Where we get economy yeah. and economics. That's the root word for those. Yep. And he's talking about God, uh, God uh, asking what kind of economy are you going to build for me? Like what kind of, um, you know, co, co, like a, what kind of system of cohabitation, right? In, in that form of economy, like what are you going to build? And I th that's what that, all that kind of makes me think of is, uh, we, it, it's a hard, that's a hard line to toe in America because, um, we are such big proponents of capitalism and we're stuck so in this it. Yeah, idea, we're captured by it's, it. it's a really interesting, I was the RNC speeches last night, the vice president said a bunch of very interesting things. Um, but one of the last things he said was like, um, Joe Biden told you that um, don't expect a miracle or no miracle is going to come or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. But what Joe doesn't understand is that America is the land of miracles. And then that was kind of the end of the statement. <laughs> where it's just like, but that's kind of like this kind of empty rhetoric um, philosophy and so I keep thinking about that Stephen's speech and like, what, what kind of economy are you building for me? What kind of economy are you building for me? As we're going through something that could be as catastrophic mm. as 
um, you know, the great depression or something akin to that, you know, what a kind of economy are you building for me? Not just in the, in the economical yeah. sense, but in, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a fascinating conversation for this time period, especially because last night we were talking about, you know, what are our COVID rules and parameters for, um, for church and for ministry, right? Because a lot of churches are trying to push against, um, county mandates right like you um you can't suppress our worship you can't do yeah. this or that etc etc that's right we're suffering for jesus we will not be per- persecuted germs are yeah. not or real. god's bigger than that god will protect us because of our citizenship our, our kingdom citizenship and so we we're talking about and i was yeah. like listen guys a our witness right now is really unique and profound in that way right because we what we do and how we carry ourselves is a profound witness <laughs> on what people will think of the church or of Jesus coming out of COVID, the way that we conduct ourselves, let alone what words we say or how we, you know, quote unquote evangelize or whatever, but just the way we conduct ourselves is going to be a powerful witness. But also like this idea, I'm trying to recap some of the stuff that you went through, like the early on stuff with the evangelism. Like we're just like, this is a time period where because so much evangelism or ministry, um, just kind of the way that we conduct ourselves in that way, it's so much about numbers. It's a numbers game. How many people can you get to come and hear mm-hmm. uh, this message, right? And our conversation last night literally was about how do you develop that, uh, uh, that community? How do you go deep with a few and develop these long lifetime kingdom relationships, ones that don't dissipate, right? Um, uh, when proximity changes, right? Proximity isn't just being around that person or a youth ministry being around that kid or if that kid goes to college, like, yeah, this is that time period, right? And now yeah. you're forced to, to kind of turn to Jesus and say like, well, what do I do? Well, I have to go deep. And I have to put a lot of hard yeah. time in with these people and start like start yeah. long lasting relationships. And I think yeah. it's have to start actually yeah, making and I think disciples. it's actually kind of great and <laughs> profound. And, and, um, when you look at the lineage of the whole thing, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. No, that's cool, man. I mean, or at least like, yeah, you start enjoying a process of mutual discipleship making mutual disciple making like those kind of relationships have mutually beneficial i think this is actually a strategic time in so many ways i mean because there's a lot of like you can't gather in big numbers and do your what you know do things like we always did but there's a lot of lonely kids a lot of lonely teens a lot of lonely young adults that just need someone to text them or sit on their porch at six feet distance i mean this is this is freaking everybody out and i think that one of the big things I've been trying to do is just to, I mean, I'm a, I'm a recluse and introvert. I would ra- I mean, quarantine was my fantasy. I, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is the best thing ever happened to me. But I was like, you know, there's a handful of people. I don't need, I don't need, you know, I have a very low social need, but I know there are people that don't, that aren't like me. So I had a bunch of people that I was texting or calling. I don't like talking on the phone, but I committed, all right, I'm going to call a few people regularly and just check in with them. It's probably, and it was like, they were dying for communication and for contact and all that kind of stuff. So it's, this is a strategic time to be creatively uh, loving and servant oriented. And tragically there are some people that call themselves Christians that, um, are finding defiant ways of not loving their neighbors yeah. and wanting a self, just a bunch of pastors or churches that are banging their spoons against the high chair and wanting to, to meet and especially maskless. I mean, it's so utterly irresponsible and such, it runs so counter to what discipleship to Jesus is all about. And then to imagine like God will look after us. Um, keep in mind that the people of God at times have behaved defiantly to God and have thought, well, God will take care of us if we do this. You remember the generation that was told you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because you did not have the confidence to go into the land. 
there was a bunch of people that said, oh, we're so sorry. We're going to go. We're going to now do it. And Moses said, don't like, you don't understand. You have to endure this 40 year punishment because you were not faithful to God. And they said, no, 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 God will give us the land. We're just going to, we're going to do it. And they went and tried to go into the land and got slaughtered. Mm. So, I mean, God is not a magic, you know, rabbit's foot that you can just sort of say, well, we're, we're Christians. We can just do whatever we want. God look after us. Well, I mean, it's not, it's not gone well for a lot of pastors, a lot of churches that are gathering and becoming, you know, sites of spread of, of COVID. And um, certainly there's biblical precedent for, uh, you know, not defiantly behaving, I don't know, <laughs> going half cocked, going off half cocked, and then saying that God will look after you. That's just foolish. I mean, yeah. keep in mind, Satan uses that kind of language mm-hmm. when he tempts Jesus. Yeah. Jump off the temple. God will protect you. Well, <laughs> Right. I don't know. Yeah. Who are you? No, no one should test the Lord God. Um, Tim, this is always wonderful for us. We're very grateful for your time. Yeah. And um, seriously, I, we, we could not just recommend your work and your thinking more and uh, that people would, if they want to check out more, it is, it is a pretty thick podcast that Tim is, Tim is up to. Um, I mean, that's, it's one of those, where I, I have to pause and take notes at times. And, um, you know, so if you can't get to, you can't get to a Grand Rapids Seminary, maybe this is the, the next best thing. But anyway, would encourage you to check out Faith Improvised. Uh, Tim is always so grateful, man, for your heart and your time. Man, I'm so grateful for you guys. It's just fun to kick it. Yeah, always. Yeah, really. It's so beneficial, my friend. Um, yeah, I'm going to get out of here and go yep. lay in the sun. Do it. <laughs> See you guys. Talk soon. Hope let's not let too long go by. All right, yeah. my friend. Take care of yourself. Stay healthy. All right. Later, guys. Bam. Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Vox Podcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash Vox Podcast, on Instagram at Vox Podcast, and on Twitter at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.